Hey, everybody, this is Chuck Marone. You know, we're getting to the end of the year here and uh, just wanted to say thank you to everyone who responded during the recent member drive. It, it means so much, especially this year. Membership has always been a huge portion of our budget. A big part of what we do around here is made possible because of the support of our members. And I, I just want to say thank you to all of you who have been so generous to us and given us that solid base so that you know we don't spend the year scrambling trying to figure out how we're going to stay in business. Although we did a little bit of that, we can focus a lot of our time and energy on doing what we can to help grow this movement and to help make this a nation of strong towns. So thank you and on with the show. You're listening to the Strong Towns Podcast. Everybody, this is Chuck Marone. Welcome back to the Strong Towns Podcast. Over the last couple months, we've been spending some time chatting with our members. We've been doing some focus groups and getting people together and, and, and having some really great conversations. I have met a lot of interesting people through that process. One of the ones that jumped out at me and I said, I really need to have you on the podcast is a guy named Chris Bernardo. Chris, I hope I said your last name right. Is that right, Bernardo? You nailed it, Chuck. Thanks, man. Chris is the president and CEO of Commercial District Services. You can find them online at publicspaces.com. And he agreed to come on the podcast today and chat a little bit about his company. Chris, welcome to the Strong Dance Podcast. Thanks, Chuck. I'm a huge fan. I appreciate you having me on. Um, so it's a real honor. I, I appreciate and admire the work that you do around the country. So uh, it's great to be here with you. That means a lot. Thank you. I want to get into what you do, but I want to start by having you talk a little bit about business improvement districts and what they are. I know a lot of people know this information, but a lot of people don't. have never heard of this. We don't have one in my community. I don't know of any community within an hour of me that has one. What is a business improvement district and how do they work? By the way, it's a great question because, you know, they've proliferated now over several decades in the U.S. And, you know, over time when you, when you have situations like that, sometimes you, you, you sort of forget, you know, what's at the core of a, of a concept. And so business improvement districts were really uh, formed to fill gaps, especially in communities that don't have a tax base that can provide special and unique services that are really important to commercial districts. And so where that's the case, private property owners agree to assess themselves to voluntary, excuse me, not voluntary assessment, but they, they volunteer to collaborate uh, and to study the possibility of an assessment and then ultimately is put in place by way of ordinance and then it becomes law in a municipality. And essentially the funds that are generated through that assessment go toward uh, special improvements. And those improvements are managed by a district management corporation that is in charge of um, managing the funds and setting the programming and the budget annually for each district. When you say improvements, that can be physical infrastructure. It can also be like you talk about programming. What's the difference between those two, just so people are clear on that? And this really does kind of get to the heart of it, and that is the improvements that you're doing, they really should be 
creating value for the assessment paying stakeholders. Uh, at the end of the day, we are trying to fill gaps in certain types of fundamental services. And I would point out that you know over the years, we've identified a few activities that are pretty essential to creating a foundation for economic development in a place. Those activities typically include cleanliness, sanitation, public safety. These are things, especially in our cities, where normal operations are really focused on a broad geographic region. And so in many cases, municipalities just don't have the tax base or the resources to provide the type of special attention that commercial corridors really do require. And so that is really what makes a, a business improvement district, or as we call them in New Jersey, special improvement districts, that's what really makes them so critical. Now, many districts get involved in other types of, let's call them non-physical programming, marketing, special events, things like that. But, you know, my whole take on districts is really focusing on the practical activities that create value for the assessment paying stakeholders, the real estate holders, because at the end of the day, that's what's really going to drive the economy. That's what's really going to drive things forward. So we provide a turnkey solution for special improvement districts to really focus on the fundamental aspects of a district. That includes cleaning, sanitation, public safety, placemaking, and essentially creating uh, a sense of place. Our real idea here is that the best marketing that you can do for a place is to make it look great. And so when it's kept clean and when people feel safe and when it's beautified, people are more likely to visit when they're driving through and they're stopped at that red light and they turn their head and they see a, a really well-manicured planter it triggers something in them. They like to be in places that look good and, and, and make them feel great. And so we've always operated under that assumption that, that really what's, what's critical in moving districts forward is, is making sure that, that people feel great when they're in them. And that has really been one of the, you know, the driving you know, factors in, in our business over the years. I remember it was quite a while ago now, but the, the first time I was sitting out in a outdoor cafe in the morning having breakfast with, uh, I think, my family. And across the street, there were people there you know, with uh, brooms, and uh, I think they had a power washer, and they were cleaning up the sidewalks and cleaning up the streets. And I looked around, and I thought, this is a gorgeous place. Like, this is really nice. It's well taken care of. And, and I, I thought about how my community does something like just street cleaning twice a year, the maintenance department rents a sweeper, a big broom, and you know grrr, they they go down the street kicking up dust all over. They do the residential streets, they do the commercial streets, and then they they go away for six months, you know, until the fall, and then they'll do it again. And then they'll do it in the spring. For commercial areas, this just isn't enough when we have people that are going to be in contact with this stuff. Am I contrasting the kind of standard approach with the way that? a business improvement district should work? Sure, and it, it certainly underscores uh, why we need business improvement districts because in, for the most part, municipalities really only have the ability to do exactly what you just pointed out, is you know, uh, very minimal periodic activities that help you know, keep a place clean and make it look good. That is absolutely why you need a business improvement district. But further, you know, just moving beyond that a little bit is 
even if you have a business improvement district, it's important to have your priorities sort of worked out. Different districts have different resources. Downtown Manhattan can generate $20 million a year for annual services, whereas a, you know, a suburban uh, business improvement district might struggle to generate $200,000 a year in assessment. So you, you need to make sure that your expectations are in line with the resources that you have and that out of the gate, you're actually focusing on the things that are really most important to your stakeholders. One of the ways that um, you can do that, and it's something that we focus very intently on, is making sure that we don't create any more overhead than is absolutely necessary. You know, a lot of districts find themselves in a situation where it's very easy to become a bureaucracy in and of yourself, to become a branding machine that focuses on the organization that runs the district as opposed to uh, simply providing the, the fundamental practical services that show value to the assessment paying stakeholders. And that's something that you want to be very careful about because when you have smaller special improvement districts, you can very quickly eat up 30% of your budget in administration and management costs. And so our whole take on, on that is let's get in there, let's, let's demonstrate economies of scale, and let's make sure that we're focused on putting as much of the assessment dollars into the actual improvements that, that demonstrate value. And then over time, as you demonstrate value and as you do the critical things to support that foundation that we talked about earlier, then you can begin to build on that and you can begin to justify increasing assessments. Uh, you can begin to justify doing programming that goes beyond the fundamental stuff that we've talked about. Before you can get there, though, you got to lay the foundation. Unfortunately, I don't think enough districts start out that way. Uh, focusing on the fundamentals and keeping their overhead as low as possible. And you see some districts that, that ultimately will fail. And then in other communities, you have communities that will investigate a special improvement district. They'll look at the money that they're able to generate based on whatever the tax base is, whatever, whatever the, the value of the properties are. And ultimately, they decide not to pursue it because they don't feel like they're able to generate enough revenue. And very often that decision is made because they're accounting for an amount of overhead and management expense that just isn't necessary. It's not necessary when you're when you're focused on on the practical, you know, the practical services. For $100,000 a year under the right circumstances, you can generate high value programming for a district that actually means something and then build out from there. But very few districts that can only generate ninety or hundred thousand or hundred and twenty-five thousand a year, very few of those districts actually get off the ground because there's the sense that ultimately they're just not worth it. And I would I would argue the opposite that you have to start somewhere, and it's important if you have people at the table who are willing to assess themselves and they're willing to sort of create this collaborative effort, this public-private partnership with local government. If the pieces are there. You know, let's get it done. Let's let let's get people working and and moving things forward, and we'll see where we are in three years. Let me ask you this about setting them up. I heard what you said about most places maybe don't start in the best place in terms of setting them up, and I'm I'm inferring in that because I've I've seen this. A lot of these places start with the big flashy project, 
and kind of work back from there. Is that a is that a fair critique? And how would you do it differently? Let's take a step back. You know, the the big flashy project it, it actually can be a catalyst for something great. There are plenty of assessment districts that are set up for the sole purpose of providing um, a really important or a really critical physical improvement to an area. In many places, you'll see assessment districts that are, are put together to fund parking. Now, over the years, over the last decade or so, we've, we've taken a close look at parking, and in, in many cases, we've, we've, we've come to realize that you know, parking is, is certainly not the, the end-all, be-all of economic development in, in many places. But the concept is still the same. You know, creating an assessment district, a collaborative effort between stakeholders to fund the improvements that are needed. I mean, it can also be done for major streetscape improvements. Depending on on the state, um, most business improvement districts have the ability to incur debt, which allows them to be a partner at the table in, in, in financing debt service on, on projects, which is you know which can be really important. So the big project can be a catalyst. Where you run into issues, uh, especially early on, is, you know, if you're not careful, you can kind of fall into the old Chamber of Commerce model where you're funding marketing and promotional programming that is very difficult to measure in success and not always easy to demonstrate value to the stakeholders. And so in a lot of cases, they become programs that are great at highlighting the organization or the, the district manager corporation, I should say. Uh, they're great at, at highlighting the organization, but they're not necessarily translating into long-term value for the stakeholders. And that has been one criticism, especially in smaller business improvement districts. That has been one criticism that I've seen over the years where, you know, two or three years in, you have a lot of stakeholders sort of throwing their hands up in the air and saying, well, I just don't get it. I don't understand why, you know, why we did this. I'm not really seeing the type of uh, improvements. My expectations aren't being met. So it's important right out of the gate to focus on the stuff that, that people really do see value in. When you're able to come in and you're able to fill the gaps on sanitation so that now instead of garbage being picked up twice a week and then the rest of the week, you know, garbage being strewn throughout the commercial corridor because people are, are illegally dumping their residential garbage in municipal trash cans. Now, with a business improvement district, very quickly you can step in and you can provide seven-day-a-week cleaning and sanitation services, and it's like night and day. In areas where police are really stretched and um, you have critical quality-of-life issues that are impacting a district, um, one of the things that, that we've really focused heavily on in, in the districts that we serve is public safety and managing public safety. When I say managing, one of the things that, that we do, I think with, with a good deal of success, is managing off-duty police programs. These are, these are programs in, in cities where police departments make police officers available for assignment and are paid privately. They continue to be police officers uh, insured and and working for the local uh, municipality, but they're paid privately by organizations like business improvement districts. Those are critical programs that you you really do need to focus on heavily early on in urban areas. You know, and then beyond that is the physical improvements, providing financing or grant support for physical 
building improvements, sign in facade programs, things of that nature. These are things that, that really demonstrate for private property owners the value of, of the special improvement district, and it can, it can really bode well for the future of a district. You've used the word assessment quite a few times, and I, I want to make sure that everybody understands what that is. An assessment in this scenario is not something that necessarily every single business in the commercial zone, let's, let's just take a downtown, right. would yeah. agree to, but it's something that would go through a, a public process where I know each state is different. In my state, you either have to have a certain percent that would petition for it, more than 50% of the, the, the property owners would need to petition, or you'd have to have a supermajority vote of the uh, of, of the city council to approve it and enact it. And it essentially would be then a separate fee that that district would pay that would go into a fund that would fund, in this case, the business improvement district. How, how does it work in New Jersey? Is it similar to that? Yeah. So the nuance there is, is a really important one. Please. Uh, and it, believe it or not, and, and, it, and it really does speak to everything that we've been talking about in terms of demonstrating value, there's a real connection there. So an assessment, it's critical to point out that an assessment is not a tax. Um, The public-private partnership that gets put in place, one of the real critical elements of that is you utilize the municipality's authority to collect money from the property owners, in most cases taxes. You utilize that mechanism to collect the assessment. And the assessment at the end of the day is really a pass-through of sorts. The assessment is going from the private stakeholder to the municipal government. It is then passed on to the district management corporation of the business improvement district through a a legal and an annual budget process that is reviewed by city council and is approved by city council. So that is where the one of the pieces of the public-private partnership that's that's where it really lies. Now in New Jersey, there is no requirement of passage, only a political one, which is to say that you need to demonstrate enough interest and you need to you know be able to uh, to illustrate that there's an appetite for these improvements. A study is required that needs to you know highlight and underscore the the needs and, and why a, a business improvement district is being proposed, that is usually the first step in introducing this to uh, city council. Uh, and then ultimately it goes to a public hearing just like any other um, ordinance. And the public has the same process, same public meeting processes in place for the public to review it and to offer their, their feedback. In almost all cases, there's, there's positive feedback and negative feedback. I'm pleased to report that in many cases, some people who um, start out as the biggest opponents uh, end up being some of our uh, biggest supporters. Now, how this ties into value is because it's an assessment and because it is uh, focused entirely on the commercial corridor, that the, the boundaried area that you're approving, it becomes critical very early on to demonstrate value to those assessment paying stakeholders because the whole purpose I'm nodding my head here. Yeah. <laughs> you know the whole, the whole purpose is to do what you said you were going to do which is to provide value provide a foundation for economic development and really give these stakeholders something that they can work off of as they privately look to uh, improve their own properties and e- increase the um, the economic viability of, of their own of their own investments now uh, it's also, I think, 
important to point out that because the private property owner is the payer of the assessment, that assessment may or may not make its way to the tenant, the, the small business owner. Depending on the economies of a place, a property owner has to determine whether or not they can afford to pass that, that cost on or whether or not they're going to they're eat that cost. Once again, it's important to, to remember that it's the private property owners, first and foremost, that need to be at the table, and we need to be focused on the critical activities that support the investment that they've made in that place. When you use the word assessment, I, I know in my experience that you actually have to, and I'll, I'll use my word, you actually have to build wealth in the, in the entity that is paying it. Because it's not like a tax where I'm, you know, I'm paying for an annual service. I'm actually paying an assessment, which is a, a right. transfer of my wealth to some other entity. And in exchange, that entity is actually providing, you know, that value as you describe it, the wealth creation as, as we would say it. There actually has to be an exchange there, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's critical to remember that and to point and to point it out and to to do sort of an annual review of what, of what you're of what you're engaged in to make sure that that you're focused on that. And like I said earlier, it's it, it, you know in some cases organizations can become focused on being organizations, being uh, institutions, or becoming institutions. Well, let let me say this in a less polite way. I have seen in business improvement districts, which are about paying the executive director of the business improvement district. I've also seen ones where it is about investing the money in the place. And in, in the former, you tend to not see the actual wealth of the place go up. But in the latter, yeah. in the place where you're putting the money on the street, what tends to happen, or at least my experience has been, you see property values in those areas going up at a rate that is higher than what you see in the other places, in, in other parts of the community. You're actually getting a direct return on that investment. Am I saying it in a? Yeah, I, I know you got to be a little bit polite, but I, I yeah. you know, I well, you are. I think. Listen, you, you're you're underscoring the difference there, and I think that you really do have to focus on leadership, and you have to do it early on, and you have to you have to resist the need or the sense that you have to do something flashy to show that the organization is viable. The way you show the organization is viable is you do outstanding on-street programming and you change people's thinking about a place. You don't need a high-paid executive director to do that. You don't need flashy marketing to do that. You most certainly do not need branding to do that because when we're talking about these fundamental improvements, the branding of an organization, and I say this with all due respect because there are some wonderful people out there that are doing great work. But the branding of a, of a district management corporation at the end of the day is somewhat irrelevant, you know, yeah. because you can, you can deliver the valuable services without anyone ever knowing who you are. <laughs> right. Um, but, but you know what? The assessment paying stakeholder is going to get it. And, and I would even argue that a better strategy is to find ways to promote those, especially in larger districts find a way to promote those stakeholders. Instead of going out and getting another staff member to do something, find a way to collaborate with that stakeholder who maybe is also a member of the board uh, or a member of the corporation and find a way for that stakeholder to provide that service in kind. 
and then promote the fact that that stakeholder is providing that. Let the stakeholders own the organization. And it's not all on the executive director. In a lot of cases, the stakeholders don't always step up and show the type of leadership that they need to show. But at the end of the day, the, the best scenario is when you have a facilitator that is managing or serving as the administrator of that district, and they are facilitating active, engaged, assessment-paying stakeholders that are at the table and, and sort of guiding the ship. This is where I feel like, you know, the work you're doing is so astounding because I watch and I see you guys putting the most amount of dollars possible in these places to work on the street. Can you just talk about community district services? Give me the backstory. How'd you get started doing this? And talk a little bit about precisely what you guys do. And I'll, I'll say this from a selfish standpoint. I, I well, Before we, we started recording, I said, what I'm really hoping is that someone in my area hears this as a business model and says, hey, I want to do a Minnesota version of this. You guys are in Jersey. There's a lot of really smart people in our audience. And a lot of them are finding themselves underemployed or in transition. I would love to see some people copycat what you're doing because it really is particularly for cities that don't have massive amounts of resources to waste, this is a great option for people. So go, go ahead. So the way we started out, Chuck, is, is really from an organizing and a management perspective. We, we started setting up special improvement districts. Uh, in fact, the original iteration of my firm set up the first special improvement district in New Jersey back in 1986. And we organized districts uh, and then we started providing um, management uh, services to those districts. And what happened is I very quickly realized that we were missing an important piece to all of this. There were many things that we, know, we knew we could do quickly. We could get a place clean. We could do beautiful landscaping. We could set up a security program. But these were not the things that districts at that time uh, were really focused on. They were still trying to figure out, in many ways, how they were different from chambers of commerce. They were still very much focused on promotional activities, even in cases where the businesses that were being promoted weren't necessarily making the private investments needed to really make those promotions valuable. You know, it's important. It's important, I think, to underscore that. A business improvement district can't make up for a bad business model. It can't make up for a lack of capitalization. What became really apparent to us is let's focus on the stuff we can control. The stuff we can control is right there in front of us, and it provides tremendous value to these places. We can get out there and we can clean the street. We can do security. We can do landscaping. We can do physical improvements. We can actually impact the district physically. You know, we don't have to put together a promotional program and at the end of the day wonder whether or not it was actually valuable or not because, you know, most promotional programs are, are very difficult to measure. You know, especially back in the 90s, it was, it was a completely different place. And so we pivoted very early on and started to provide direct services. We became a licensed trash hauler. We started putting together at the time, we called security programs, but ultimately they became uh, hospitality and ambassador programs and really utilizing those programs to interface with local government to assist with 
supportive services for homelessness, to try and treat some of the quality of life issues that were that were impacting our stakeholders the most. Things like, you know, camping out inside of ATM machines and panhandling in front of storefronts and at times, you know, situations that, that you know, became aggressive. Providing that type of personnel on the street that could really represent the stakeholders in a, in a way that early on people didn't think was possible. That was sort of the switch for us is, is realizing, hey, there are things we can do. Let's go out and do them. And so we did. That's really what led us here today. We operate in about uh, 20, 25 places in New Jersey. Uh, we do projects in New York City. Uh, we provide outdoor sanitation. We provide ambassador services. But the uniqueness to us is we come at everything from a management perspective because we also, we also manage business improvement districts. And we you know, provide a turnkey solution so that if you have a relatively small budget, but you have a number of critical things that you want to do, you know, we can step into that situation and we can manage your governance. We can put, you know, sanitation services out on the street. We can manage off-duty police. We can help you get banners on your light poles and holiday decorations and, and things like that, which, by the way, can be relatively expensive activities. And, you know, one of the things that we found is when you lower your overhead and you're able to benefit from economies of scale through the type of um, services that we provide, you're then able to to have all of those all of those critical pieces that that you might not be able to fund otherwise. You put the money to work. Put the money to work. Put the money to work. Tell me a little bit about the sizes of the communities that you work in. What is a small place and what is a, a larger place? You know, a, a small place can be a commercial corridor with let's say uh, 150 properties that is in a place where. The assessed value of the properties is relatively low and can maybe generate $250,000 a year for services. And then, you know, we go from that type of district uh, and that type of model, you know, all the way up to a district that generates a million dollars a year and has specific types of needs. That's where we operate when we're talking about bundled services or, or you know, turnkey solutions, being able to go in there and put everything together for the district uh, and make sure that as much of their assessment dollars is going directly into the district. Who specifically do you work for? Like who do you send out invoices to every month? So in all cases, the special improvement district uh, is managed by a district management corporation. That can be a, in most of the cases, uh, that is a private nonprofit organization that is designated by way of ordinance as the district management corporation of that special improvement district. And those are the organizations that we, that we contract with for the most part. In other cases, we contract with private property owners uh, because we also manage privately managed public spaces, parks, uh, common areas, things like that. So there are cases where we work directly with private property owners. But when it comes to business improvement districts, it's typically a private nonprofit that is the designated district management corporation. There is another way that districts can be handled, and that is um, a commission form, uh, which is typically it works directly out of the mu municipality, where the municipality designates the board of trustees and, you know, a, a department within the municipality is is 
sort of designated as the management entity for the special improvement district. There, there are cases where, you know, there are some benefits to doing to doing it that way. You know, in, in cases where where you don't have leadership that is ready or willing to to essentially be the owners of a company. Because when you're when you're serving on a board of trustees, that's what you're doing. Right. You're, you're running the operations of a company. So in in places where that leadership that hasn't necessarily emerged, a good way of of doing things uh, could be operating the assessment district from the municipality for the first couple of years, uh, developing trust, developing value, recruiting board members, coaching board members up, and, and getting things to a point where you can then at some point. Um, convert over to a, a private nonprofit that is running the district. In your experience, who are the local champions of something like this? Is it is it generally a business owner? Is it a council member? Is it a member of the public? Who who yeah. are the people who step up and say we this is something we really want to do? It's changed over the years. Early on, elected officials were very skeptical because the the nuance between an assessment and a tax you know, hadn't really had a chance to to become clear to everybody. And so whenever you spoke about a special improvement district, people immediately said, oh, they want, you want to tax me some more. And so that, you know, puts elected officials kind of, you know, back on their heels a little bit. It typically sort of emerged from business owners that had been around a while, okay, and that had seen their their district sort of decline over three or four decades at least the areas where I've worked, you know, I've seen business owners that are like the second or third generation owner of that business. And in many cases, they own the property as well. They've seen both their business decline and they've seen the value on their properties decline. And so the conversation really emerged from that type of profile. They would, you know, often recruit other business owners, other property owners, it used to be like a dance, you know, you'd spend a year or so trying to make elected officials sort of feel comfortable with the idea. And then once they were comfortable with the idea, you began to do some pilot programming. And in many cases, the municipality would pay for that pilot programming. In some cases, the private stakeholders that were emerging as the leadership, they would fund it themselves or in partnership with the municipality. And so, you know, maybe, you you know, you did some pilot programming to demonstrate what could be done with a special improvement district before, before everybody was comfortable enough with the idea and the the elected officials were comfortable enough with the idea uh, and didn't, didn't think they'd be voted out of office, you know, the next year to actually bring it forward and put it up for a vote. That process has really sort of um, evolved over the years and things have changed. In many cases, what we're seeing now is elected officials themselves are seeing, you know, ha- having seen the benefits of special improvement districts, they are taking the initiative and they are bringing uh, this idea out to the public and pushing for it to be studied. It definitely has swung. It's a much more accepted model these days. You're always going to have detractors, uh, people who, people who want want it to be be perceived as a as a as a tax. The other real objection you know, that we see all the time, and, and it, it becomes a, a political argument, and that is, well, 
the municipality should be doing this stuff already. That, that was going to be yeah. my next question for you yeah. is I have so it I written right I, here. Yeah, Tell my taxes already pay for that's this. That's my favorite. I love right. that. One. I love that. <laughs> that's, my, that. that's my favorite one. Yeah. And it is the most popular one. You know, I'm paying all of these taxes. Why isn't the municipality doing this for me already? And really it comes down to acceptance, you know, accepting the fact that you're operating a building or you're operating a business or both in a, in a place that doesn't have the tax base to keep up with existing costs, doesn't have the tax base to treat many of the same issues that you're concerned about, quality of life issues. The municipality is, is busy treating those issues in a, in a much, much larger geographic region and trying to do it with minimal staff. In most of these places, the municipality doesn't even, they can't even come close to providing the type of specialized services that the stakeholders want. The argument that, that my tax dollars should be paying for all this, it just doesn't fly, especially in, in cities. Now, having said that, there are plenty of towns that, for whatever reason, are organized in a way where they can accommodate a good amount. And in, in, in some of those towns, you know, not, not every town has, not every great downtown has a special improvement district. And it's important to remember that. You know, there's a lot of towns where the tax base is able to handle a certain amount of programming. There are, there are towns where a majority or, or a good majority of the stakeholders, they own their properties, their owner, owner-occupied, you know, businesses. And in those cases, you tend to see a lot more initiative taken on the part of the private operator. And so you can have downtowns that um, operate pretty well with just the DPW and somebody, you know, in City Hall who is interested and, and mindful of um, economic development and, and wants to put resources toward it. And it works. Uh, I've seen plenty of towns like that. But, you know, a lot of places just don't have that. They don't have that calculus going on, you know, and they, they need they need support. You know, I mean, I have a district that we serve where we pick up over a million pounds of garbage every year in this district. And the city is more than happy to have us there doing that because they would not be able to do it with their existing resources. And so in, in the big cities, what we've found is, is special improvement districts are, at least from the government's point of view, are very much accepted and very much seen as an asset, um, which is a good thing. In my book, Strong Towns, I wrote about maintenance. I had a, a big section I wrote about maintenance. And I, I talked about how cities will often program maintenance in on a you know, 20, 30 year life cycle. So we put in sidewalks and you know they're brand new, but we don't plan to go back to them for 30 years because that's when sidewalks are scheduled to be replaced. And so if things fall apart or crack or, or break, that's just something we'll get in the next maintenance cycle. And I contrasted that with this idea that maintenance should be the way Disneyland maintains their theme parks, you know, like if you see a, a weed, you pull it. If you see a sidewalk cracked, you you fix it. Where do you fall on that spectrum? I mean, it feels like you are part of a model that would get closer to what that Strong Town's vision is for how places should be maintained and, and how that maintenance should build wealth as opposed to just have some long maintenance cycle. Yeah, we are definitely focused on trying to trying to move business improvement districts 
in the direction of a property owners association where you do that type of analysis and planned budgeting to focus on the the most critical aspect of a place which is the physical infrastructure that's without a doubt the the direction that that we'd like business improvement districts to go in to to really focus on on providing you know that that long term oversight and and management of a place where we don't see value in one off type activities we're trying to to create that long term value play that's, that's we- exactly it you just hit it you know, you go to a Disney theme park and you don't see streetlights out. You know, you don't see weeds coming up through the street. But I can go to my downtown and there's been lights out for months that are not replaced. And I, I know the city staff is burdened. I know they have a lot going on. But a lot of that is maintaining, you know, stuff we never should have built out on yeah. the far edges of town. In an ideal situation, you have a Disney World or a Disneyland concept. But more often than not, what you end up having is, a system that's 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 a little bit better, you know. Like for instance, um, and you br- you bring uh, streetlights to the table, and something that like you know we work a great deal on. And one of the things that we always find in in doing street you know streetlight reporting and 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 management of that is we often discover issues that would not have been discovered d- discovered otherwise. People would people would would simply assume that. The streetlight is out because nobody's paying attention. Well, that's not always the case. Sometimes the streetlight is out because four blocks away when, you know, so-and-so construction company was doing a, uh, an improvement to a building, they accidentally cut a wire or they impacted the underground infrastructure that knocked out three lights down the street. And you don't find that out unless you're doing the, the management and sort of the research that is needed to discover it because our, our utility companies and our, our large institutions that are overseeing a lot of the infrastructure, you know, they themselves are busy responding to emergencies and trying to, you know, stay ahead of uh, the public. And so somebody has to be there looking at the details and trying to figure out, okay, well, why is this happening? Uh, and we very often find ourselves in the position of being sort of like a middleman facilitator between local government and the utility company um, and trying to bring them both together because the special improvement district doesn't own public property. You know, we, we manage public property. And when we talk about a public-private partnership, we're really talking about, you know, different institutions and agencies coming together to solve problems. The role that, that we play is, is facilitator and bringing the right people to the table at the right time to figure things out. And so, you know, that's the kind of work you often find yourself doing when you're running a business improvement district. I think this model is so pragmatic and productive. Have you seen any like park improvement districts or residential improvement districts or other, other places outside of commercial areas where this type of concept is, is being used? It is becoming more and more of a of a common conversation more times than not what you're seeing is assessment districts developing around areas that require management of those types of common areas and public spaces i've had multiple conversations with a few different neighborhoods about uh residential assessment districts and look they already exist homeowner associations are 
are essentially a residential improvement district, you know. You're starting to see other neighborhoods that are not your traditional, you know, planned communities sort of emerge saying, hey, you know, you know, we want to fund these common services. We want to try and improve some fundamental, you know, aspects of our district. You know, can we do this? And the, the, the answer is you, you absolutely can. Uh, in terms of parks, yeah, I mean, the private management of parks has become, you know, something that is is really common and really and really needed. You know, I mean, um, Bryant Park in New York City is uh, at the center of a business improvement district, and there's a partnership in place and a, and a management agreement that allows that special improvement district, along with um, uh, a nonprofit, to sort of oversee and provide services and, and support the park. Um, we work in a, in a couple of different parks where the services there are privately funded. So the answer is 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 yes. We 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 are moving we are moving from a from a, a concept of public ownership and maintenance to either private ownership or private more more likely private management that in many cases is associated with the adjacent or abutting developments around it. I spent the summer of 1990 at Fort Dix, New Jersey, doing uh, push-ups and uh, and other basic training types of things. And I, I said, I hate New Jersey and I never want to come back. I have been to New Jersey many times and seen some gorgeous cities. I'm sure many of them that you are involved with. I've started to really like the place. There's some There's some great cities and some great stuff going on in New Jersey. I know the weather there isn't great today, but... Uh, I'm just wondering, are you from Jersey? Is this where you uh, you grew up and call home, or what? Yep, born what? and raised. Okay, so you so you are, are doing this in a place you care about. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, despite what what's been happening happening in the last decade or so, we actually have a great transit system in New Jersey. Great, yeah. great tra- New, New Jersey transit. We have a, a lot of um, great transit oriented development uh, that happens uh, along the different train corridors. Per capita, we must have, you know, or we must, must be close to it, you know, having the, the most, you know, downtowns. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, within an area. And it's a fantastic place, a very convenient place. The transit system is really, I think, that, you know, the, the backbone of that, you know, I mean, New York City is so well connected. Philadelphia and New York City are so well connected to the suburbs of New Jersey. You know, we, we joke a lot, you know, that northern New Jersey and, and, you know, specifically, you know, Hudson County and all on the waterfront New Jersey is kind of like the sixth borough of Manhattan. It's really true. Right. You know? I mean, um, right. it's, a great, it's a great place to, to be, man. Well, Chris, I'm so amazed when I run into people like you who are in our audience. I'm really proud of the fact that you're a member of our organization and find value in it. Because I, I find a ton of value in what you are doing. I hope there's some people out there who find inspiration in this and, and do try to copy you in their communities because it's a great story starting with what you can do and building up from that. And I, I just, I want to thank you for taking the time to chat with us. Thanks, Chuck. And, and we appreciate the opportunity and, and uh, we do admire what you're doing, man. Uh, keep up the great work. We'll keep following you. Thank you. Thank you. This this is Chris Bernardo. He's the president and CEO of Commercial District Services. You can find more out about them at publicspaces.com. If you go there, you're going to be very impressed with the, the work that they do. Hey, everybody, keep doing what you can to build Strong Town. Take care.
Taking risk is a necessity to becoming rich. It's also a necessity to go bankrupt. Bill, 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 Bill. That's the story. They know that America's one big pothole right now. Just to echo what you said, there are no silver bullet solutions. Chuck Marone, this has been fascinating. Oh, the city! The window is not always open, but if nobody's pushing, then once the window opens, there'll be no chance to go through. I like you. I like your vision of the, of the world. The United Nations Earth Summit. Agenda 21. Yeah.